Hi, welcome to the New Covenant Presbyterian Church Sermon Podcast, a congregation of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, the OPC, in the San Francisco Bay Area. What does the Bible say about irresistible grace? This is part four of our five-part series on the five points of Calvinism. We've done total depravity, unconditional election, limited atonement. Today we're going to be looking at irresistible grace, and then next time we will we will conclude this series by looking at the perseverance of the saints. So this is part four, irresistible grace. What does the Bible say about it? Now, before we begin, we have to understand what it means when we say irresistible grace. What are we actually trying to affirm? And basically, to answer this question, we have to, to remember where we've been so far in the, with the five points of Calvinism. We've looked at sin. We looked at what God has done in eternity to save a people for himself out of that state of sin. We looked at what the Son has done uh, in, in time to save a people from their sins. Now we're, what we're looking at is what God does for that particular people for whom uh, Christ died and who were elected from all eternity. What happens to them, what God does to them in time, uh, in their particular lives when they are converted. So we're looking at the application of salvation to the elect. And the question that we're asking is, what is is more ultimate god's action in conversion or man's action both sides will affirm that god acts and man acts god and man both act and yet in the arminian position which is resistible grace it's ultimately man's action that is primary if man acts then man is saved if man does not act then man is not saved in the calvinist position god is ultimate if god acts man is saved. If God does not act, then man is not saved. So the question is of of which is more ultimate. This is really the fundamental question as we've seen for all the points of Calvinism. Who gets the glory? Who is the one who has accomplished this great work of salvation? In election, is it man's choice of God or is it God's choice of man? Uh, in the atonement, is it that Christ died for all and then man's free to choose whichever way he wants? Or is it that Christ sovereignly saves a particular people for himself? And here now as well with irresistible grace, is it that God draws and everyone whom he draws comes? Or is it rather that man chooses and whoever and, and whoever chooses then is in fact saved? So this, this is the question. And uh, the, the reason for defending irresistible grace is to affirm that salvation from beginning to end in every part is the work of the Almighty God. The Father elects from eternity. The Son dies in time for a particular people. And the Spirit draws and all who receive this work must be saved. That's the, the summary of the five points of Calvinism. So we'll, we'll dive in then. What does the Bible say about irresist, irresistible grace? Now, we've already looked actually at a few passages in other questions that we've, we've answered uh, that deal in the Old Testament even with this particular topic. So we have things like uh, Deuteronomy 30, uh, the great foundational uh, prophecy of the return from exile that Moses gives. And Moses says that in the days of the Messiah, when, uh, when the people return from exile, that at that point, then God will circumcise the hearts of his people. So they didn't love God before. God will act and then they'll love God. And we've looked at how Jeremiah 32 builds on this very thing, that God will put the love of himself within them. He, he will put the love in them even though it was never there before. So God's people continually go astray. Yeah, there's coming a time in the future when God will act such that all will then come to him for whom he does this act. Same thing we have with Ezekiel 36, with the language of the removing the heart of stone and giving the heart of flesh. This is the act of God, which he does 
by his spirit, as we see uh, in, in Ezekiel 36. And so this is even the, the Old Testament teaches uh, this doctrine of irresistible grace. We have other places in the New Testament that teach it. And interestingly, it's actually ascribed to all three persons. We've, even, we've looked at the, the spirit with Ezekiel 36. We see this with the son. Uh, no one knows the son except the father. And no one knows the father except the son and whomever the son chooses to reveal him. So here the idea is you cannot know God unless the son reveals God to you. There's no way for man to be able to, uh, of his own strength, will himself to, uh, to know the Father. And yet, if the Son reveals the Father, then the Father is in fact revealed. If, if, if the Son acts, this God's action is more ultimate, if the Son acts, then you'll know the Father. Uh, another passage that's important for this is Romans chapter 9. We've looked at this particularly with unconditional election. It's interesting that in the context of the passage, it, it probably is, is uh, a bit uh, talking a bit more about irresistible grace than, in fact, uh, unconditional election. There the idea is, you know, using Pharaoh as an example, that he hardens whomever he wants. God has mercy on whomever he has mercy. He hardens whomever he hardens. And Pharaoh is an example. This is something that God does in time. It reflects what he had decreed to do in all eternity, but this is something that he did in time. He hardened Pharaoh's heart. And yet, and then the opposite of that then, if there is also those who, who receive God's mercy, has to be uh, the opposite of hardening, which is softening. God has mercy on some, softens their hearts such that they receive the grace that he offers. Uh, and yet there are others whom he hardens who then will not receive this grace. It is God's action to have mercy that is ultimate. And as Paul says, it does not depend, depend on man who wills, but rather on God who has mercy. God who has mercy in the hardening or softening of the heart. God who has mercy, mercy in softening a sinner's heart such that the, that the sinner will actually come to him. And so, for, so all of these passages speak of the, the truth of irresistible grace, both Old and New Testament. Uh, but perhaps probably the, the classic passage is John chapter 6. I'm going to read uh, just two verses from John chapter 6, which show this, I think, most clearly. And this is coming from verses 44 and 45, where John writes, and this is quoting Christ, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall be taught by God. Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Now here it's said both positively and negatively, what cannot be done and what has to happen, what must be done. So what Christ says first is no one can come unless the Father draws. No one can come. So there is an inability uh, to, to, to act. Man has an inability to act on his own apart from the sovereign work of God. God must act first. And there's, there's simply no power to act. So in, there's, a, there's the category of those who, who, for whom God has not acted and it's impossible for them to come. And then secondly, though, Christ speaks about the opposite, which is uh, all of those whom the Father draws do come. So it's not only that no one can come who has not received this action, but it's also the case that whomever God draws will in fact come. Uh, so it's, so uh, and there, by speaking about this from these two different angles, it really removes all doubts. Um, it, it cannot be the case that man who has received this action from God could resist it. Everyone whom God attempts to draw will in fact come. Everyone whom he draws will come. There can be no failure. There's no inefficiency. Uh, there can be no sense in which God draws man and resists and then man ends up not being saved. Uh, when God draws, it is always efficacious. And so uh, this is again the, the, probably the clearest text in the scriptures with regard to irresistible grace and it shows I think beyond a, a doubt 
that the doctrine of irresistible grace is in fact taught in the scriptures. Now at this point, there's a common objection that people usually give and they'll say that, well, the Calvinist doctrine makes us all like robots or, or even worse, it's God, uh, God violating our wills and uh, making us come against our wills even perhaps. Uh, and there could be, you know, some that want to come and some that don't want to come, but God just disregards it all and he's just going to pick uh, those who are his. But the reality is, is that nobody would come unless God draws and, and what's important here in terms of answering this objection is that the way that God draws does not violate the natural freedom of the will. The way that God draws does not violate the natural freedom of the will. Now, we've, we've spoken in, in other contexts about the natural freedom of the will, that there is, in fact, a kind of freedom of the will that, that is never violated. This is what's spoken of in Westminster Confession of Faith 9.1, that there is a freedom from compulsion. Man, in terms of the bondage of the will, what we do not mean is we do not mean that man is bound to sin against his will. The binding is not a binding of compulsion. It's rather a binding of nature. A man's will is bound over to sin because his nature is so bad uh, that he, he has every freedom to act according to the way he wants, but the, what he wants is, in fact, uh, bad and wicked. And so even in saying that, though, that he is free to act means that there is a kind uh, of freedom of the will. And this, in irresistible grace, is maintained throughout God, when we say it's irresistible, we're not saying that God draws contrary to someone's will. What we are saying is that God changes the will, changes the nature, such that man comes most freely. And so this is where there is an action of God and an action of man. We don't deny that, that man comes. He must actually come. If, if you don't come to Christ, you won't be saved. Uh, but what we are saying is that God's action is ultimate. You will only come. You will only do that action if God acts. And he acts in such a way that he changes your will so that you want to come. And this is even the language that we looked at, particularly in uh, the Old Testament, all those passages circumcising the heart. God will change the heart. God will remove the heart of stone, give a heart of flesh. God will put the love of God in your heart. There the idea is it's not something that's contrary to your will. It's rather that God changes the will so that now you do, in fact, uh, love God. And this is just one of the, the great doctrines that shows forth the wonderful mercy of God. Uh, that God, even when we would not come to him, even when we would spurn every, uh, every offer of grace, that God changes us so that we would come and actually receive the gift. He doesn't, just, he doesn't even just offer us the gift of grace in his son, but he also gives us the grace to be able to stretch out our hands uh, to receive it, such that everything, both the offer and the receiving, is both the gift of God, such that we can say, that there is no boasting before God. All of salvation is the act of God. So hopefully this was helpful. Uh, again, next time we will look at part five, which is perseverance of the saints. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to find out more about our church, please visit our website at newcovenantopc.com. You can also follow us on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. May God enlighten the eyes of your heart, that through the preached word your eyes may be opened to behold the glory of Christ more and more.